The episode that you're about to listen to was originally recorded and released in September 2020 on the Just Another Fanboy podcast feed. Feedback can be sent to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com, despite what I say when I close out the episode. And with that out of the way, welcome to Just Another Fanboy Reads Madman Comics. The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. My name is Steven, and I am back once again to take you on an adventure, a madman adventure. That was not very well put together. Anyway, I'm back talking about Madman. This is part five, which means I am smack dab in the second series of Madman. This is Madman Adventures, and today I'm talking about issue number two. Now, these first two series of Madman books, they were put out by Tundra, and it's very hard to find a lot of information on them out there, or at least after a good three solid minutes of swiping through Google. You know, I just, I give up. But the closest I could find here on this particular issue is that this sucker came out in January of 1993. Now, if you will remember, when we last left our intrepid hero, Frank Einstein, he was helping Dr. Flem out with a a bit of an experiment. More than an experiment, actually. They were going to rocket up into the Earth's atmosphere above the Earth somewhere in a time rocket. And then Dr. Flem was going to spend the next few hours rotating through time, videotaping the history of Earth, which just boggles the mind how that could even be possible. But obviously it is. They wouldn't have made a book about it, right? Well, the previous issue, issue number one, ends with Frank and Dr. Flem strapping themselves into the cockpit of the time rocket, which is a convertible. There's no roof. It's open to the air. And they've each taken a pill that kind of puts them to sleep because going into time portals can be very discombobulating. And so using the pill helps this little pill that they take. But as they're about to take off, as Dr. Flem has already succumbed to the effects of his pill, Frank realizes that he left his backpack in the lab. The rocket hasn't taken off yet. So he unbuckles, jumps out of the rocket, grabs his backpack. And as he's jumping back into the rocket, as the pill is taking effect on him, the rocket takes off, meaning... He didn't buckle in. Is that going to pay off in the second issue? Well, let's find out. Because as the second issue opens, they're heading towards a time portal. There's a bump. There's this message that the computer keeps saying, prepare for brunt, repeat, prepare for brunt, brunt now. This is as Frank and Dr. Flem are both snoozing away quite heavily in the cockpit of this time rocket. And they hit the brunt of the time portal and Frank falls out of the cockpit. That wakes him up. 
He falls through the time portal. He's got his backpack with him. He's trying to grab at his backpack. All his stuff is coming out of his backpack. He's got a couple of books. He's got a copy of Catcher in the Rye. He's got his lead-filled Duncan yo-yo, and he's got a slingshot. And then a hole opens in the sky, and out falls Frank along with his backpack and his belongings. And he falls into a big lake. It's actually a very wonderful shot. He skips across the lake like a rock, and then sploosh, he goes underwater where he meets some sort of dinosaur. It tries to eat him. He swims away, and he is pulled out of the water by riding the tail of a brachiosaur. This is a wonderful double-page spread of this brachiosaur, this other underwater dinosaur whose name I, I I'm sure it's it's an actual dinosaur it's the one that people think the Loch Ness monster is I don't know the name of it I'm not a dinosaur expert but this brachiosaur is pulling his tail out of the water and Frank is on the back of it the brachiosaur pulls Frank close and gives him a sniff and as Frank says as the brachiosaur flings him off of his tail I must offend. Or in other words, he must be a little stinky. So he lands on the shore in a bunch of mud and he's pulled out of the mud saying, put chops and applesauce. Because he's still under the influence of that pill. You combine that with falling through a time portal into a land of dinosaurs and having a brachiosaurus fling you with its tail across the length of a lake onto the shore, the muddy shore beyond, you're going to be a little out of it. So he pulls himself out of the mud. There are stars around his head. There's a little swirly thing coming out of his head to show that he's dizzy. And he's saying, pork chops and applesauce, which if you're not aware is a Brady Bunch reference. Thank you very much. Well, a mastodon type elephant creature comes along and helps, pulls him out of the mud and is carrying him along by its trunk and then just leaves him there on the ground. And Frank falls asleep. But we see the shadow of what appears to be a human head of some sort fall across Frank. Well, while Frank is asleep, he has a dream. And he's narrating. There's a bit of narration going on during the dream that doesn't really have a lot to do with the dream. So let me describe the dream first, and then I'll read you the narration. So the dream, in it, he is basically Adam, like Adam and Eve, except for it looks like he's made of water. He's very quite featureless. His... His entire body is the same color. And again, it's kind of shiny. To me, it looks like he's made of water. He may not be. And of course, he's got the leaf there over his naughty bits. And he's walking around in what we just assume is the Garden of Eden. It's green and brown and very barren. He sees like a floating island off in the distance. And there's a woman standing on it. The ground crumbles beneath him. And suddenly that mastodon elephant type creature is there and pulls him free as he's about to fall into this great crevice that is opened up underneath him. And then above him, there's a hole in the sky. And this elephant, mastodon-type creature lifts him up. The, the end of the animal's trunk turns into a hand, lifts him up through the hole in the ground. He's now up on this island where the woman was. And she looks a bit like Joe, but again, she's very featureless. She's one color. She's pink. So Frank is blue. And again, to me, looks like he's made of water. She looks like she's made of pink water. Maybe they're made of glass. I don't know. But she's kneeling at the base of a tree. There's an apple. There's an apple on the tree. And there's a big snake winding its way down. It takes the apple in its mouth. It offers it to the woman. 
Frank grabs the apple from the snake. They fight. He's about to be eaten by the snake. And that's when he wakes up from the dream. And when he wakes up, he's actually, well, he's not naked. He's wearing his tidy whities but he's actually, he actually has a snake wrapped around him. So before we get to that, let me read you the narration, because I always enjoy these little looks into Frank's mind. When something like this happens, a lot of times what you're reading is journal entries from Frank, but it's really just kind of a look into Frank's mind. He says, I guess it was a dream, a dream for the earwig. Pieces of my memory before Dr. Boyford gave me new life continue to come to me in little pieces, mostly childhood memories. I still don't recall a mother or father or what my real name is, but I remember a Miss Audrey. I'm pretty sure that was her name. Anyway, I think she was a nanny, a babysitter, teacher or something. She told me about the dream earwig. She said the earwig would crawl into my ear when I slept and eavesdrop on my dreams. This, of course, kept me awake at night for as long as I could stand. I'm betting I didn't sleep much as a child. So yeah, that's kind of a frightening thought as a child to be told of this thing that crawls into your ear and gives you dreams. So Frank wakes up. He's got a snake wrapped around him. He wakes in shock and surprise. The snake seems to be just as scared as he is, and it goes slithering off. He appears to be outside of a cave. There is a clothesline behind him, and his costume is drying on the clothesline along with his backpack. He pulls everything off the line. He gets dressed. He he looks around. There's a fire there on the cliffside, he's outside of a cave up on a cliff, and he realizes that something kind of screwy is going on because he didn't undress himself. He didn't make the fire. He didn't lay his clothes out on the line to dry. He starts looking through his backpack. He finds out that everything is there. He goes into the cave. He kind of cleans it out with a branch, uh, a leafy branch sweeping things up. He finds a rock that looks like a, well, it's square, like a TV. Basically, he builds himself a little TV and he draws on it with a stick from the fire, with the coal, you know, the the smudgy stick. And he makes it look like a TV. And I guess that's supposed to be Joe on TV. And he's he's just sitting there watching it. And he says, man, oh man, I miss TV. He realizes at that point that his food supply is at an end when he eats the last three Whoppers that he had with him. And not Burger King Whoppers. I'm talking about the malted milk balls. So he goes out into the jungle to try to kill a bird. He's got his slingshot with him. He can't quite get any birds. A dragonfly flies too close, and he sees that the dragonfly is as big as he is, and that, of course, just scares the crap out of him. So he smacks at it with a stick, and it explodes as a bug would if you hit it with a stick. But then all the bug's friends, all the other dragonflies, just start chasing him through the jungle, and he escapes by jumping into a river. When he pulls himself out of the river, he tries to shoot another bird with his slingshot, and it doesn't work, and he's getting very kind of hungry, and he runs across wreckage of what appears to be the time rocket, and so he assumes that he's trapped here forever. There's the time rocket. It's in pieces, and it looks old. Where's Dr. Flem? I don't know. Some birds fly overhead in his hunger and his frustration. He fires at one with the slingshot, and he hits it. He's really pumped at that point. Yes, I got it. I got the bird. And then he sees the bird laying on the ground and he realizes what he's done. He's injured a bird. The bird's not dead. It's flapping around on the ground, injured. And he starts feeling just really bad about what he did. And he runs to the bird to try to help it. When out of the bushes, a freaking purple Tyrannosaurus Rex pops its head out of the bushes and eats the bird. It chases Frank and Frank's about to die. But then the T-Rex is killed, shot in the head 
by a laser. Where did the laser come from? He doesn't know. But he goes looking for the person who has the laser, assuming it to be Dr. Flem. But if it's Dr. Flem, why hasn't he shown himself? So he 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 goes climbing up this cliff, looking for this person, whoever. He's hoping it's Dr. Flem. He finds a wallet just sitting on this cliff ledge. There's a picture in it of a woman in a like a 50 style bikini, and it's signed XOXO Mamie. So he gets up there on top of this cliff hill mountain type place and he's looking out across the land trying to find out what's happening when a robot approaches him a robot approaches from behind it's got the word bot dash m on its chest b-o-t a dash and then the letter m it snatches him up takes him the rest of the way up the mountain pulls him into a cave and that's where he finds the mysterious Mamie from the photograph, but she's much older. And we learn that she knew Dr. Flem. She had also built a time rocket just like his. And that was hers that was wrecked down there somewhere in the jungle. And she crash landed here in the past, in the dinosaur past, because Dr. Flem was bouncing around time. And it did what she referred to as a time burp. And it stranded her there. She's so angry about it, actually, that she smacks Frank across the face with her wallet because he'd kept her wallet and he says, oh, by the way, I found your wallet. And she smacks him across the face with it, just really clocks him. But then she tells him that she wants him to stay. She basically tells him, you know, we've got this Adam and Eve thing going on. We got to repopulate the world. And she's just, I mean, first of all, she's old. Nothing wrong with that. But she just looks like she has gone insane, which she has. And why wouldn't you? Trapped for however many years she's been trapped in prehistoric Earth, with nothing to keep her company but a robot that she built. But she's got a, like a TV VCR there, and a, she can plug it into Bot M for power so they can watch videos. And she's like, look, you're stuck here, okay? Accept that. I have a TV. I have videotapes. Stay. And there's this wonderful panel of Frank and he just looks like he's panicking and his his costume is all torn to shreds. And out loud, he's saying, uh, TV, huh? Oh, okay. But behind him, it's a white panel. There's a white background and there's just his, all of his thoughts that are running through his head are all scrawled behind him in blue. And I'm going to read it to you. Hmm, let me think. She has a television, but she hit me. Food, shelter. She does have a TV. Hmm, but she's kind of scary. She hit me. What if she tries to hit me again? Or what if she's unbalanced? I'm no expert. I mean, I can't point fingers. An evening enjoying a few videos might be all right. So maybe I should give her, give her the benefit of, aw, heck. She hit me. Television, videos, food. Hmm. Just what is this Adam and Eve thing all about, huh? I don't think I'd want to fall asleep around her. TV. I'd better just be agreeable for now. Will I? Gee whiz. Hmm. Bad vibes. That's what's run through his head. He agrees to stay. And she she basically, <laughs> she tells him, wise decision. Because if you don't stay, I'll have Bot M crush your tiny skull. She's she's quite lost it. So they're sitting in, in these chairs that look like they've been carved from stone. And they're watching a documentary about otters. And she's starting to fall asleep. And he glances over at her. And she wakes up and looks at him. And he quickly looks back to the TV like nothing's going on. And then she falls asleep again. And then he starts to creep away. 
And that's when she wakes up. Ha, I knew you couldn't be trusted. And he's like, oh, come on, geez, mellow out. I just had to go to the bathroom. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'll tell you what, let me just attach this chip to the back of your skull so I can keep track of you. And he says, actually, and then just starts running. And that's when Bot M starts chasing him and they have a big chase through the jungle and he gets his yo-yo out and he basically lassoes, he uses his yo-yo to lasso the neck of a passing pterodactyl and he rides it away and Bot M kills the pterodactyl by shooting it with his laser, which makes Frank, which also makes Frank feel bad. He tells the, the dying pterodactyl, gee, I'm sorry I dragged you into this mess. Mamie is also chasing after him and she's got a laser rifle. He finds himself in the pterodactyl nest and he starts throwing the eggs at Bot M. And he's telling him, yelling at the robot, just back off, okay? I'll follow you back. Just back off. I'm warning you. I'm warning you, man. Back off. And that's when he takes the robot out, knocks him off the cliff. It falls into a volcano. The volcano erupts. Maybe because Bot M fell into it. We don't know. But it just suddenly erupts. Bot M explodes, which is probably what caused the volcano to erupt. Frank is falling down the side of the volcano. Lava is coming after him. He makes it down to the bottom. Mamie is there with her rifle. She tells him, I extended love to you. I would have given you that photo. I was going to give it to Gil Flim. You killed Bot M. You killed my only companion and refused to be sociable. Now you'll pay, you little turd. And that's when he points up above as the lava is coming down. And he says, look out behind you. Which, of course, she says, oh, I'm not going to fall for that. And then she is immediately covered in boiling lava. He takes a moment to bow his head in respect and then starts climbing a tree because, you know, the lava is coming after him and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill him. You know, lava does that. You don't want to be in the path of molten lava. And so he's at the top of this tree. The tree is on fire. He thinks he's going to die. And that's when a hole opens in the sky. And Dr. Flem comes out in their time rocket and at the last minute saves Frank. He said he kind of figured it all out because he'd already gone and done the, uh, he'd already videotaped the history of the world and he noticed her crashed ship. And so he was able to find a time portal, which apparently it's not easy finding time portals. He just got lucky and got the right one to get Frank out. And then he gets him back home in time for his date. And as the book ends, he goes to Joe's for their date. Because if you remember from the first issue of this second series, they go out on a date, they set a date for the next night. And then Dr. Flem's assistant, Gail, comes and gets Frank and says, hey, Dr. Flem needs your, needs your help for this experiment. And Frank's like, no, I can't do it. I got a date tomorrow night. And she says, no, he'll get you back in time, I promise. And that's when we find out it's all time travel. But it's really funny because he goes to, to Joe's house and he actually uses the front door, which really impresses her father because in the previous issue, he climbed in through her window and he's wearing his costume as normal because he doesn't feel comfortable outside, you know, not wearing his costume. He, he, he only feels confident when he's wearing his costume, but he's got like a pink sweater on over it with a tie and like, I guess, Bermuda shorts, maybe. They're like plaid shorts and pink. I, these might be long johns that he's wearing over his costume. I don't know why he's dressed that way, but they're ready to leave for their date. They're standing out on the front porch and Joe says, Dad, the pizza bot is here and there's a robot there to deliver pizza and it's bot M. And that's how the issue ends. I, I have to say, so far, so we've had the first series, which was three issues. 
The second series, which is three issues, this is the second of the three issues. This has been my favorite issue so far. This was just a zany, madcap adventure. It was so funny. Frank is just rolling. He just rolls through this freaking comic book. He just goes from one predicament to another, and he just rolls with it, man. Just all this stuff happens to him. And he just, he manages to keep his optimism throughout all this. And when he... He killed that bird. I mean, he needed to kill the bird for food. He was going to die without food. But really, at that moment, when he killed that bird, he did it in anger. So that might be part of why he felt guilty. But it was just, it was so adorable because he's like, die, stupid bird. And he shoots it with the rock and the bird falls to the ground. He's like, yes, I got it. And then he's, oh, no, I'm so sorry. And how he felt bad when the pterodactyl gets shot by Bot M. There's a really bad line when he's knocking Bot M off of the cliff into the volcano because he says Bot M's up. Ha <laughs> ha! Plus, it's in color. This series is in color. The first series was not. And it was just gorgeous. The double page spread of him on the Brachiosaurus's tail is just gorgeous. I will definitely be showing some of these panels. Online. Okay, so this is going to be episode number 119. So if you follow me on Twitter, then I encourage you to just stick around after this episode because for the next couple of days, I'm going to be posting panels from this book. I've been doing that for the past few books. Stephen or else at Twitter or Stephen or else at Instagram. Just keep an eye out for it, man, because I'm going to be posting stuff. And I'm definitely going to be posting that double page spread because it is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. I cannot. I am so in love with this book. I couldn't even finish what I was saying just a second ago. I cannot. That's as far as I got because I am so in love with this book. When I read the first series, I was, it's like I was just getting reacquainted with the book and it was fun. I was enjoying myself. The first issue of the second series, again, it was, yeah, this is good stuff. I remember. But coming into the second issue, it's like, it's like the book just finally reached out and gave me a big hug. It's like, oh, I remember you and you remember me. We're friends. And we had so much fun together back then in 93 or 94. Whenever I came across this series, whenever the Dark Horse series started and I got to start reading the older books because I found the trades and then I found the single issues at freaking comic book conventions. And oh, what a time it was back then. I said it already once in one of the previous episodes, but people like to think of the 90s as the Rob Liefeld era, the Todd McFarlane era, you know, the image era, the big pecs, the big boobs, the freaking skimpy costumes and the or the costumes that are all armor with razors all over the place and the giant guns and the pouches and how it was all just more uh more sparkle than substance it was just ooh shiny but but there was nothing beneath the shine and yet there were books like madman that were just so good that were just so fun and they just touched me in a way that not a lot of books do and i'm just super excited to be reading them again and being able to share them with you so next up we got issue number 3 i cannot remember it all what happens in issue three. I haven't read ahead. I looked at the cover for issue number three. I feel like there's a some kind of weird spy dude in it at some point, but whew, looking forward to just 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 keep on going. Just keep on trucking with this this freaking series because it's it's really good. I hope I hope I've reached out to some of you. I hope some of you listening to these have gone out 
and searched out this book. Everything that I've been talking about so far, you can find in one trade. The first two series, all six issues. And again, they're like 50 pages long. So really it's like two, two issues in one. So really it's like 12 issues when it all comes down to it. But they're both collected in one book which you can get through Comixology right now. So I really hope you guys are out there finding this stuff and enjoying it just as much as I am because I'd feel kind of foolish sitting in my car at 9.30 at night just oozing joy and love for this book. And, and, and nobody is, nobody's discovering that joy like I did back then. But hey, you will or you won't. If you don't, you don't. If you do, great. Either way, my name is Steven. And I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Wear a mask. Stay safe. Just Another Fanboy is a Stephen or Else production. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash stephenrorr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast a weekly show about all the comics and such I don't have time to talk about here. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stephenorelse.com or find me at Twitter and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes. Good job. Ooh.